Watch the best football in the world, the UEFA Champions League, exclusively on Stan Sport. Every match, ad-free, live, and on demand. This is the sixth installment of Beyond the Score, Champions League edition, powered by Stan Sport, your new home of the UEFA Champions League. And today's deep dive takes us back to the glory days of one of England's most famous clubs, Nottingham Forest, and the substantial downfall that followed. From winning consecutive European Cups across 1979 and 1980 to becoming the first winners to drop to the third tier of their domestic competition, the rise and fall of Nottingham Forest has become one of the great stories in football. When you think of English teams who haven't tasted success on the European stage, such as Arsenal, Tottenham Hotspur, Manchester City, Everton, and even on a European level, Paris Saint-Germain or Atletico Madrid, you get a sense of just how difficult and significant it is to win this tournament. And yes, there's been fairy tale runs that seen the likes of Shower Bucharesti from Romania win it in 1986 and Red Star Belgrade in 1991. They're the teams that our younger generation may not have ever heard of, and understandably so. But to move into a more exclusive group of winners, just take a look at the 13 clubs who have gone on to win it multiple times. There's only giants everywhere you look. Real Madrid, Barcelona, AC Milan, Liverpool, Juventus, Manchester United, Chelsea, just to name a few. But there is one that may make you look again twice. Nottingham Forest, one of England's great anomalies. They are so far off England's current big six that they haven't even been in England's top flight since 1999. And yet, standing deep within the four walls of Nottingham City ground are two European Cups. Trophies that Pep Guardiola has been trying to bring to Manchester City for the last five years and yet has fallen short time and time again. But how has a club located in a small city within the Midlands with a population of just 330,000 people hold two of them? And what happened to the club? In 2021, almost 41 years after they last lifted that coveted trophy, they remain in the championship, the second tier of English football, where they've stayed for the best part of the last two decades. All but for a three-year period where they became the first European Cup winners to drop into the third tier of their domestic league, an unwanted stain on the club's most famous achievement. After poor ownership caused a toxic environment within the club through broken promises, missed player payments, and a high turnover of managers, there is a mutual acceptance now that this team may never reach the true glory days it had in the past. All that's left now is the strong and loyal fan base that have stuck together over the years, and the proud home they call City Ground, where they hope to one day watch a team that they can at least be proud of again. And now to take us into the depths of one of the greatest stories in football and reflect on one of the great eras in European Cup history from the Nottingham Forest podcast, 1865, it's Stephen Topless. Welcome to Beyond the Score, Stephen. Hi, Nick, and thanks for inviting me on. Mate, when I, when I think of Nottingham Forest, I picture a traditional football club because of the history, the fans, the culture, tradition, it just, it, it's a proper football club. So I guess I'd like to know first, um, what, what's it like being a Nottingham Forest fan? What does it mean to you? Uh, why do you support them and your involvement in your own podcast? Just give us like a, a general background on being a fan of this club. Well, I'm a fan having grown up in Nottingham. They're my local team and taken down to games by family and that's where the the love started for Forest and 
and that was back in the 90s. So I just about saw Premier League football for a couple of years and then obviously Forest were relegated in 1999 and they haven't been back since. So for all the history and all the tradition, which is brilliant and it should be celebrated, the the modern day Forest supporter hasn't hasn't been able to, to witness half of that success. You know, it's been... 20 years of either being in the mm. championship or a couple of years, even lower down in league one for three seasons. And it's, th- there's been fleeting moments, but the ho- there's always been the hope and expectation to a degree, but they haven't quite managed to, to get that success and find a way back to the premier league. But the club means so much to the people of Nottingham. Like you say, it's, it's tradition, it's history, it's rooted in the city and as a as a provincial club, which I suppose that's what you would call us, we we've got a good fan base, a solid fan base of about twenty five thousand every home game. Mm. The the away support as well, taking thousands on the road for every game. Yeah. So the support for the club has always been there, even if sometimes the performances on the pitch haven't always reflected that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And of course, um, going back now, just at the time, uh, Nottingham Forest were the smallest city, I think, uh, to win the European Cup in 1979. Um, but what, what what sort of legacy has that left on the club and for the fans today, like yourself? It's obviously something that we're all very proud of and something that's celebrated within the club. You, you walk into the reception either at the ground or at the training complex down the road and you're greeted with photographs of this amazing legendary winning team that not only won European Cups but they won League Cups the league title for the first time in the club's Mm. history this team achieved so much so that history is always going to be there and I suppose if you're a Manchester United or a Liverpool fan your team have won European Cups in the past, but there's always been that sustained success when you're one of those clubs. Whereas for Forest, it's very unlikely that we're ever going to get anywhere near that sort of success again. So in some ways, it acts as a bit of a millstone around the club's neck because there's always going to be that that story there and that previous achievement. And some managers, when they've come into the club, have probably been unfairly judged by those standards. But the vast majority of Forest fans, certainly in the modern day, understand the position that we're in. We are, at the moment, a mid-table, second-division team. We're we're nowhere near the top table like we used to be. So we celebrate the success of the European Cup winners and the legendary Brian Clough. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, there is that realism that we know that we're probably never going to see those kind of heights again. Yeah. And it's funny because, I mean, during the mid-70s as well, um, I mean, you guys were in a a similar position. Um, I think you were in the uh, depths of the the second tier in England at the time. And um, and then, I mean, we've touched on some iconic figures on this podcast, but you touched on um, Brian Clough. He comes in and then all of a sudden it changes and... I mean, the fans back then uh, do experience, um, yeah, the, the the success that came in the end. 
But yeah, in terms of, I know it was over 40 years ago, but um, I'm sure you've heard plenty on the stories on Clough and that team. I mean, what, what made them so great? Like, how did he come in and change it so quickly? I think the the first line of that is he was just an exceptional manager. A few years before Forest, he took Derby County, who very similar to Forest, a provincial club with not much in terms of winning trophies in the past. He went in there and took them out of the second division into the first. They won the league and they went deep in the European Cup. They didn't actually win it, Derby, but they went close. And Brian Clough at that time became quite an outspoken figure. He was a, he was a fantastic speaker and that made him such a good personality for TV. So if he wasn't on Parkinson, which was one of the big kind of chat shows of the era he was doing punditry on ITV with the big match and his profile was rising among the wider British public so he left Derby in quite controversial circumstances because they well the chairman Sang Longson didn't like that kind of abrasive style of Clough and that outspoken nature and (laughs) along with his assistant Peter Taylor Clough left Derby they then took over, well, Brian Clough went to Brighton briefly with Peter Taylor, who I think were in the third division at the time. And then the Leeds job came up with Don Reavy, moving on to become England manager. Clough had been a real critic of Leeds in the past because they were known as quite a physical, uncompromising team. Didn't mind getting the, putting in the fouls and perhaps a bit of dark arts at times in order to win. Clough was very outspoken against that. He goes in at Leeds and lasts only 44 days. I don't know if any, if you've seen the film, The Damned United or read the book, which tells the story of him going in at Leeds. Basically went in there, rubbed people up the wrong way. The players who were so committed to Reavy didn't wow. take to Clough and he was basically dismissed after 44 days. So after the three Three or four months out of football in January 1975, Clough takes over at Forest. And you touched on it there. They were in the second division. They were 13th in the second division, or what is now known as the championship. And that's where the the journey started to happen. And it wasn't until really Peter Taylor joined him again in 1976 that Forest went on this rise which took them out of the second tier and on their way to the glory that followed well so when when he comes in obviously um throughout that period there was a lot of um star players or well-known players uh that came about trevor francis john robertson uh were those just to get an understanding were those players already there when he came in or are these players that he brought in with him um what, what was that like with the team The interesting thing, when you look at the team that went on to win the European Cup, five of them were at Forest when Clough took over. So that's Viv Anderson, Martin O'Neill, Ian Bowyer, Tony Woodcock and John Robertson. Now, all of them in some way or another had different stories at Forest at that point. But the interesting one is John Robertson because he was in and out of the team under previous Forest managers and 
there'd been concerns over his weight and his diet and he liked to smoke as well. So there was, he was seen as somebody who perhaps could have been on his way out of forest before Clough joined. And <laughs> some stories suggested he might've been, he might well have been sold and gone off and had a nomadic career somewhere else. But Clough comes in and between him and Peter Taylor, they saw something in Robertson that perhaps nobody else had done. And that's a similar story for a lot of the other players. They inherited them and they saw something in them that other managers simply didn't. And they focused on what players were good at, what they could do rather than what they couldn't. And they set the team up to get the very best out of those players. So Woodcock was another one, Tony Woodcock. He'd been in and out of the team as a youngster. He was almost going out on loan to different clubs. And then Clough and Taylor worked with him, turned him into a star centre forward who went on to play for England and got a big money move to Cologne in the in the late 70s. So these players were there when Clough took over. And the remarkable thing is half of that team was still there a few years later when they were going on to achieve incredible things. Unbelievable. I, I do remember uh, seeing something on John Robertson uh, being nicknamed the fat boy or something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> quite funny. Um, so when they begin this uh, European run uh, in, in the first year in 1979, um, I think there was this game against Liverpool and at the time Liverpool were also uh, were the dominant force in England and Europe. Um, does that match get spoken about? I mean, as like the sort of breakthrough moment for Forrest, I think it was one of the, the qualifying uh, rounds. Yeah, that match gets spoken about quite a lot. It's, it's probably one of the most famous nights in, in Forest history. Um, but just going back slightly on that, because... Liverpool were, like you say, the dominant force in England and in Europe. They'd won the European Cup back-to-back in 77 and 78. So they were, basically, if you wanted to win something, you had to find a way of getting past Liverpool to do it. So when Forrest won promotion to the first division in 1977, incredibly, they go on and win the league in that first season promoted, which is basically, that's like Norwich, coming up now and going on to win the Premier League in the first season. It just simply doesn't happen promoting teams doing that. (laughs) But they beat Liverpool to first place in the league. Liverpool were runners-up and they also beat them in the League Cup final that season after a replay. So the seeds of a rivalry had already been sown as such. And then the European Cup comes around. Liverpool are defending champions, obviously. Forest come into it as the league winners. And John McGovern, the the captain of Forest, one of the quotes he says is, the draw was made for the first round of the tournament and we're at Liverpool and everyone's just going, oh, no. (laughs) I I wanted to go to Spain. I wanted to go and, you know, play in Europe. That first game is Liverpool. And perhaps there was a little bit of worry because of just how good Liverpool were and, and the fact that they'd won it twice in a row. But... It was also turned on them from Peter Taylor and Brian Clough saying, well, you've beaten Liverpool a couple of times in the last year. 
they're going to be fearing you as much as that you might be fearing them. They're probably mm-hmm. going to think, "Oh God, not those guys again." <laughs> and as it as it proved to be in that first leg at the City Ground, Forest won two nil. A famous story of the night is Gary Bertles, who was a carpet fitter at Long Eaton United, brought in from obscurity by Clough and Taylor, comes into the team and scores his first Forest goal in that match. And then the the key moment, the the the, the moment that probably clinched the tie for Forest as much as anything was Colin Barrett striding forward from left back late on getting onto the end of a knockdown from Tony Woodcock and smashing the ball past Ray Clements to make it 2-0 and giving Forrest that cushion to then go to Anfield a fortnight later and defend, which they did with a 0-0 draw and Forrest progress and and knock the defending champions out in quite a dramatic and perhaps a surprising circumstances given that Liverpool had the success and the experience of winning that trophy I don't think many people gave Forrest a chance, but they came through and knocked Liverpool out and went on to to start this this road to a glorious final win. Mm. And in that final, you play Malmo. Uh, the Trevor Francis goal was the lone goal. I mean, j- just seeing t- these team names pop up like Malmo, and I mean, if you look past at any of those old European Cup finals, you just see teams that would just never be in there ever again, probably. What was what was it like back then? Um, obviously, there was money in football back then. Obviously, not as much now, um, but or as much as there is now, I should say. But um, what, what was the recruiting system like? I mean, was it just the fact that players were more loyal back then, and they're just happy to uh, stay at their you know first clubs? Is that what made these you know smaller teams? so successful, including Forrest. I mean, we touched on a few of the good players they had and they were able to retain them for a a fair, fairly long period. I think that was definitely a a factor. Um, Mm. There wasn't the swathes of money in football and particularly in English football that there is now for the Premier League. And obviously we're now talking in the last fortnight about a takeover at Newcastle United that's going to make them super rich, even richer than Manchester City. And now talking about the hundreds of millions that they can go and spend on building an incredible team. But back in the 70s, that money wasn't there. I mean, you still had Liverpool and Manchester United, Arsenal, teams like that who generated revenue and could go and probably spend that bit more money having gained it through success and gate receipts and and just mm. being that that big club and that institution, if you like. But for Forrest, I think they were very much underestimated. They didn't have a team of superstars, far from it. The The big signing after promotion was Kenny Burns. I think he was something like £150,000. He was a striker at Birmingham, but converted into a central defender by Clough and Taylor. He goes on to be footballer of the year in that first season. So that's an example there of picking up somebody who he'd had a bit of a bad boy reputation, which perhaps was a little bit exaggerated, but somebody like that is almost a rough diamond taken by Clough and Taylor and turned into a championship winning defender. And that, yeah, Forrest didn't have the money to go and splash out on big players. So that's where that 
that that coaching and that that genius management from Clough brought the best out of players. Um, they, they did though break the transfer record and sign Britain's first million pound footballer, which was Trevor Francis, who then went on and made his European debut in that final against Malmo and scored the goal. But the core of that team was either players who had joined Forest when they were still in the second division, players who had who were there when Clough arrived and through good management and creating a really strong team unit where every player knew exactly what their jobs were on the pitch, Forrest could go and take on these bigger teams and beat them and, and go and claim those big prizes. So I think also the, the, the format of the Champions League or European Cup as it was then, very different to what we know it has now. So I would say mm-hmm. the current format allows those bigger teams to to get deeper into the competition more often, whereas back then it was a straightforward draw and knockout. So that's yeah. where you had Forest and Liverpool playing in the first round when arguably they probably should have been playing in the final, given the quality yeah. of the teams. So no disrespect to teams like Malmo, who obviously deserved to get to the stage as they were, but probably when you you look back through history, you think, well, oh, Forest only played Malmo in the final, so they were always going to win it. But that doesn't show the quality teams like Liverpool and Cologne in the semi-finals that they had to beat to get to the final in the first place. Mm, interesting. So they go on, and, and again in the nineteen eight, uh, yeah, in nineteen eighty, um, they almost did it casually for us uh, the next time around, um, and then they end up playing Kevin Keegan's Hamburg in the final um, and winning again one nil, but. How good, I mean, you already touched on it a bit there, but how good were Forest actually? I mean, how was it perceived in all of Europe? Uh, was it a fluke? Were people saying, you know, it's a flukish thing or were they a genuine force in Europe and, you know, were they looked up to be sort of like what some of the giant teams across Europe today uh, perceived? I think the second European Cup will always kind of cement that status as a great team because you could always put one cup win down as a bit of a fluke or a good mm. run over yeah. several games but I think the fact that Forest were winning games over two legs beating teams like Liverpool like Ajax Cologne in those two European Cup campaigns I think yeah. that cemented their position as a real force in Europe and they were known as a team that could actually play very good football they, despite having this this team that was brought together from all different places and probably seen as a bit of a ragtag and bob outfit by some in the media, they were a great footballing team and players like John Robertson, who technically so gifted, brilliant to watch. Clough preached about playing good passing football and that's what this Forest team were known for. And... They were winning trophies by playing good football. They they knew how to defend and see games out when they, when necessary, but they they did like to play football and entertain, which is kind of the the club principle, really. And I think that's something that has stayed with Forest. The club has always been known as a as a, a club that likes to play attractive football, even before Clough joined. So going on and having this success in that mould, I think, kind of cemented that legacy 
across the world and you you go around the world and say to people that you're from Nottingham they'll they'll come back at you and say two things you know Robin Hood and Brian Clough and Nottingham Forest so it's made <laughs> it's made the the name of Nottingham Forest well known around the world and to this day I think there's still a lot of admiration for that team and what they achieved mm. Um, let's talk about the years that followed. Uh, I think it was a few years after that European Cup final, that last one, that uh, Trevor Francis, the likes of John Robinson, um, were all shipped off, sold. Um, Nottingham Forest got the profits for them. Um, but you, they managed to bounce back in the late 80s, still under cloth. Um, what was that team like? I think they obviously brought in a few new players like Stuart Pearce. Were they as... As dominant, what what happened in that period? Uh, it's it's the decline of the European Cup winners. It's a it's a bit of a shame, really, because quite a few of the players in that team say that Clough and Taylor probably broke them up a season or two too early. Uh, yeah. a lot of them were allowed to move on, and and perhaps they needed to hold on to a couple of those players for a little bit longer just to to get that transition really um, because in the early eighties after Forrest were, were knocked out of the European cup in the back end of 1980, that was their, their last appearance in the competition and they never quite hit those same heights again between yeah. 77 and 1980. They won first division, two league cups, two European cups and a super cup. And then had a couple of fallow years after that, they got to, the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup in 1984, but quite controversially were beaten by Anderlecht over two legs. So Forrest had won the first leg 2-0 at home, then went over to Belgium for the second leg and lost that 3-0. But it was later revealed that Anderlecht had basically bribed the referee for that second leg. And there were some dubious decisions. There was a dodgy penalty given. Forrest wow. had a, a legitimate goal ruled out late on and that would have taken them to the final. So, and that was Brian Clough on his own because Peter Taylor left in 1982. He retired and stepped down as assistant. So it was Brian Clough who then took Forrest through for the remainder of the 1980s and very close there to another European success, winning the UEFA Cup, which would have been a nice, another nice thing to add to the cabinet alongside two European Cups. And I think the way that that, would, that semi-final went... That still rankles with Forest fans, although it's probably a, a max a match fixing story that's not as well known as perhaps some others involving English teams in the seventies and eighties. Mm. But after nineteen eighty four, Forest go on for a couple more years, and then Clough starts to build this second great team with Stuart Pearce, Neil Webb, his son Nigel Clough, the striker up front, and Forest start to come back. They're, they're playing the great football again, as as Brian Clough's teams always did, but they're starting to, to challenge for trophies and league titles again. So 1989, they win the League Cup, and then a year later, defend it against Oldham. And they were finishing third in the league in 1988 and 1989. Back-to-back semifinals of the FA Cup, where they lost both to Liverpool and obviously the second one of those, 1989, the dreadful circumstances mm. of Hillsborough. Mm. Um, but Forrest were very much back 
among the trophies in English football again. And they were a team which a lot of, I think a lot of people took them on as their second team as well because of how entertaining and just how likeable they were as a team. And obviously people loved Brian Clough as well outside of Forrest. He was just a character that so many football fans up and down the country identified with because he spoke to them like a fan. He spoke what the man on the terrace was thinking and yeah so I think there was a lot of goodwill from from that as well uh and that team is quite fondly remembered in not certainly among Forest fans but also I think people growing up in the late 80s really enjoyed watching that Forest team yeah so what happens in the infamous year of 1993 then uh Forest get relegated and how, how did that um how did Forest fans react to all of that? It was quite a sad ending for Brian Clough in the end. That was his final season as manager and he'd had quite a well-publicised drinking problem. And I think that 92-93 season, that's where it, it just came to a head and it affected the his football management ability and it affected the team. And that was the first season of the Premier League. Forest were founder members, but relegated in that first season. So in the summer of 1993, Clough retires after 18 years as manager. And it's Frank Clark who comes in to replace him. But the yeah, the the outpouring for, for Clough in his final home game against Sheffield United, it's that people are, you know, obviously crying, upset to see him go, fans on the pitch you know, just trying to Crazy. shake his hand and, you know, say goodbye to him and thank him for the incredible success that he brought to the club. So, yeah, yeah. it was a sad time for Forrest, but with respect to Clough, probably the game was moving in a slightly different direction. There was a greater emphasis on fitness and nutrition and the game was modernising and perhaps Clough in at that, mm. that time wasn't able to, to kind of move with football yeah, and that was his, his time to go. So it was Frank Clark, who was a member of the 79 European Cup winning team who who took over and actually took Forrest straight back up from the second division and back into the Premier League at that first time of asking. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, where did it all go wrong then? I mean, after that, I think... Uh, you, you, you get relegated uh, three times in the matter of six years or something like that. Um, and yeah, before the year 2000, but key players were sold. It, was it just, you know, a natural reaction after Clough left? It was, it was a strange time in the 90s, just as I'm starting to watch them as well, because Frank Clark actually enjoyed quite a good few years as Forest manager. Forest came back up. They finished third in the Premier League in that first season back and they had a brilliant team with the likes of Stan Collymore banging in the goals and playing phenomenal football. Brian Roy, Stuart Pearce was still there and then you had players like Steve Stone, Lars Bohinen and Ian Wone who kind of became cult heroes at Forest and probably for for 90s football fans as well looking back. Um, Forest got into the UEFA Cup in 95-96 got to the quarterfinals and then were beaten by by Munich and that was our last yeah. our last entrance into European football and then 1996 97 season 
Forrester struggling, Frank Clot leaves, and Stuart Pearce takes over as caretaker for a bit. Then Dave Bassett comes in, but Forrester ultimately relegated. So that's mm. the second relegation of the 90s. But they bounce straight back with Bassett as manager. They had Pierre van Hooydonk and Kevin Campbell up front, banging in the goals. They come straight back up as champions of the second division. And you're hoping at this point that they can go back into the Premier League and consolidate. But this is where it all started to unravel. The board at the time decided to essentially sell Kevin Campbell behind the manager's back. Dave Bassett was on holiday. Kevin Campbell was sold. Colin Cooper, who was the club captain, he was also sold, although he had a gentleman's agreement that if Middlesbrough came in to, to, to buy him, he would be allowed to go um, as they were his boyhood club. So Kevin Campbell goes, Pierre van Hooydonk then goes on strike because he's unhappy with the way that the club's being run and a perceived lack of ambition with selling the likes of Campbell and not really investing in the squad as they earn promotion. So Forrest start this new Premier League season basically without their best striker. Their next best striker has been sold and the club captain's gone as well. So they were just in turmoil at that point. Mm. And, and having a player on strike, probably the first instance that we saw yeah. of player power, um, <laughs> in 1998 and yeah Van Hooydonk was a bit of a, a bit of a maverick and obviously a brilliant footballer one of the best strikers I think we've seen at Forest he was incredible but the way that he went about it while I can understand where his frustration was going on strike like that and, and almost leaving the teammates behind that didn't go down yeah. well and as you can imagine the fans were not happy with him yeah and then 2005 came around and I think um yeah, Nottingham Forest became the first team to have a European Cup to uh, drop down to the third tier of their domestic league. So um, yeah. how, how did that go down with the, the Forest fans? Yeah, not not a very nice record to have to drop down into the third tier. It was almost unthinkable, actually, that this could happen to Forest. And after, after they dropped out the Premier League in 1999, David Platt, former England international, he took over as manager, but couldn't get the team promoted and back to where they were. Paul Hart was promoted from the academy. He took Forrest into the playoffs in 2003, but fell short against Sheffield United. He then left when the team struggled and perhaps the the investment wasn't there to to build on that Mm. playoff campaign that he had. Then Joe Kinnear comes in as manager and Forrest initially have a bit of a bounce under him. And then the following season, which is, this 2005, yeah, 2004, 2005 season, that's when Forrest is struggling. Joe Kinnear leaves. Gary Megson, who'd won promotion with West Brom a couple of years before, he came in but couldn't save the team and the players didn't really respond to Megson. His, his tactics were very negative and uh, they, were, they were not a great side to watch. And Forrest suffered the, the shame of dropping into the third tier you know, 25 years after winning the European Cup. But like you said, mm. the first winners of that competition to drop into their country's yeah. third tier. And it was, yeah, and obviously not a very nice time to be a Forest fan. It was 
Mm. I think in some ways we'd we'd resigned ourselves to it because of how badly the team was performing. But you never yeah. want to be that club that falls so low that your past glory seemed like such a long time ago. And to yeah, it was it was a tough few years in that league as well because the media obviously enjoyed reporting on the two-time European Cup winners falling so low, but uh, you were also suddenly a big fish in quite a small pond with respect to the teams around you and and the league. (laughs) So you're everybody's cup final for that season. So, you know, teams like Scunthorpe, Colchester United are coming to the city ground and playing us off the park and winning Mm. 3-0, 4-1 and Forest just look a shadow of the team that they were 10 years before. And, it was a real struggle in those those three years in League One, but it was finally at the third attempt that Boris got out of it and were back in the championship, and that was in two thousand and eight. So, yeah, it was. Just, I think that while promotion was great and we enjoyed it on the day, it was born out of relief as much as anything else that we'd got out of that that League One mire. Yeah, um, tell me a bit a bit about the owner at the time, Nigel Dowdy. Um, how did he get on with fans? And um, obviously before his passing in uh, 2012, how was his time at the club? He was a Forest fan and a local businessman. So he took charge sort of around 99, 2000 time. Um, never doubted his love for the club and his want for the club to do well. Mm. Um, I think... If you, if you go through his time as chairman you'd, or, as, or as owner, you would look at it and think there were certain things that could have been done better. So the Paul Hart team that nearly got promoted back to the Premier League, that just needed a bit of investment to to get it over the line. But that team was broken up. Players were not kept on. And yeah, there were financial issues in football at the time and along among a lot of clubs in, in Forest's division. But a bit of investment there might have just made the difference. So there were a few yeah. like nearly moments with, with Nigel Doughty. Another one was 2010 when Billy Davis took us into the championship playoffs. We lost to Blackpool, just fell short, needed a little bit of investment probably to get that quality in, to get Forest to that next level. And it, it didn't really come either. So I think by that point, people have probably been a bit frustrated with how Doughty was running the club. He'd, when he needed to put the investment in, sometimes he was mm. a bit hesitant to, and then the investment would come when, you know, there was a, a manager in there who perhaps wasn't doing the best of jobs. So mm. there were some good moments there, and it was nice having that local owner. Um, yeah. uh, but, I mean, it was obviously incredibly sad when he passed away suddenly in 2012, and uh, he'd actually stepped down as chairman a couple of yeah. months before because fans had shown quite a, uh, uh, a, a, well, a small section of fans had come out and protested against his ownership um, yeah. in a home game against Birmingham. And I think he probably at that point thought, you know, I've had enough of this. And he, and at that point we were kind of looking for new owners anyway and looking to start a new era. And then he sadly passed away and, I think that put things into a lot of perspective for people and actually mm. realised, you know what, he wasn't that he wasn't a bad guy at all. He was somebody who loved Forrest and wanted the very best for the club. 
Yeah. Um, you know, things might not have always worked out for him in the decisions he made, but you can never doubt his love for Forrest and that willingness to get things right and, and make a success of it. Mm. Um, and the the new owners that came on board, uh, the infamous uh, Middle Eastern takeover, or so they called it at the time, uh, Fawaz Al-Hasawi. Did any positives come out of uh, this era for the club? Yeah, the day that Fawaz left <laughs> probably was the... Uh, <laughs> looking back was the positive of that era. It was... Obviously, when when new when new owners come in, there's always that hope and maybe a bit of expectation that these people can 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 give us successful times mm. to come. Uh, and there was some good, a lot of goodwill for Fawaz initially, but he started making some baffling decisions. So Sean O'Driscoll was brought in as manager. He had Forrest on the cusp of the playoffs, despite when he joined. Forest, there were a handful of senior players at the club and he had to build a squad at short notice before the season started. Forest beat Leeds 4-2 on Boxing Day in 2012 and then Fawaz just decides to, to sack O'Driscoll and bring in Alex McLeish, basically on the recommendation of Alex Ferguson. He did, mm. had a conversation with Alex Ferguson and decided to part ways with this manager who was actually doing a pretty decent job in the circumstances just to bring in this so-called big name who'd managed in the Premier League and and had been reasonably successful. But McLeish didn't work out. He, he lasted yeah. six weeks and he was gone. <laughs> so Fawaz then brings in Billy Davis, who was a very popular figure during his first spell at the club. Um, and he left probably in, in controversial circumstances, falling out with the board and, and the owners. But... Fowers brings him back, probably seen as trying to get fans back on side and as a good PR move. Basically allows Davis to run the club and a lot of people from Davis's previous time at Forest, so people behind the scenes, higher up in the club, left uh, and basically left a shell of a club behind and I think Davis allowed the power to go to his head a little bit and Fowers didn't rein him in and you know mm. Davis left but on pretty bad terms actually and uh even though the results were were, were decent still under him I think yeah. the the damage that had been done off the pitch was was too much and after that Stuart Pierce club legend hero to so many of us as Forest fans he comes in as manager gets off to a good start but then a few players get injured and it's, it starts to go wrong for him and he leaves. And then we get Dougie Friedman. And then due to financial mis- financial mismanagement or just not keeping mm. on top of, of spending, we go into a transfer embargo because we breach financial fair play rules. And yeah. it, this is when the wheels really started to fall off of Fawaz and the goodwill that was there at the start had pretty much disappeared by this point and fans had, had had enough. Mm. So he, uh, he lasted roughly about seven odd seasons in that time, about nine different managers, I think it was, something crazy like that. Um, I mean, what does it mean for you just to see, you know, Forrest in the championship these days compared to, 
you know, what was spoken about in those 70s, 80s um, and where they used to sit in that football pyramid. It's it's obviously a shame to see how far Forest have fallen. And if you've been following them for the last 20 years, some of the things that we've we've witnessed at the club, like the poor management by owners, obviously the Fawaz era is probably as low as it gets in terms of the club's, certainly the club's reputation and standing in football, uh, late payments made mm. to, to agents and tax bills and things like that, you know, delays on that and being called into the high court, stuff like that, which you just don't want to see associated yeah. with the club. Mm. The the new owners, well, they've been in now for about four years. Uh, Evangelos Maranakis is also owner of Olympiakos in Greece, trying to get the club back on a stable footing, get structure back into the club, which is what's happening. Even if on the pitch, things haven't always kind of gone to, gone to plan. Uh, we've had struggles recently under Chris Hewton and last season wasn't particularly great, but I think there's a frustration among Forest fans, certainly younger fans who've never seen the club really do anything of notes, you know, for, for people who are younger than me, all they've seen is Forest be a mid-table second division team. And when you see where they used to be in the Premier League and they showed that they were a very good Premier League team, I think mm. younger fans look at that and think, come on, we just want a bit of that now. Come on, just get yeah. get to the Premier League. Give us a bit of something to to cheer about. And for, for older fans who saw the glory days, I think they'd love again to see Forrest back at the top table in, in the Premier League and and competing with the bigger sides. I think what frustrates as well is you see smaller teams coming along, like with respect to them, Bournemouth, Burnley, who've come past Forest in the last 20 years and gone on to, to be in the Premier League. And then you see teams like Leicester, who've gone on and had mm. the, the success that they've had. And they're now an established Premier League team. And Leicester really, no bigger than Forest in terms of fan base or standing and obviously they're only yeah. 30, 30 miles down the road from us very similar club in a lot of ways so I think that's where the frustration comes from with Forrest but at the same time the fan base is there you know 25,000 most home games yeah the fans travel up and down the country following them loyally and that loyalty is, has always been there and there's almost there's so much potential here with Forest. You know, you get them back into the Premier League. There's going to be swathes of fans coming in, and and mm. it's going to be quite a big story if we can ever get back there. This kind of revival of a of a, a long-standing traditional club that's had its success and is now back at at the top table. That's what we hope for, and I think if we can ever get back there, it would be incredible to see us playing Premier League football again. Totally agree. I, I think uh, Nottingham Forest uh, come across as a bit of a sleeping giant. Like I, I mentioned it at the start, um, you guys have the traditions, the, there's that togetherness with the fans, um, there's the history, everything just points to a very good football club, uh, the sort of football club you'd want to support. You've got a good home ground, a, you know, a historic uh, home ground that I'm sure has a crazy atmosphere. What's that like at the games? Yeah, when when things are going well and the city grounds rocking, it's it's really a great atmosphere. One of the the last times before the 
pandemic hit and one of the last home games before lockdown was playing against Leeds at home and the we beat Leeds 2-0 that night and the atmosphere was fantastic and Forest were, at that time were, were pushing for the playoffs and promotion as well so it was a everybody was enjoying watching them and you know it was a real feel-good factor around the the club and and at the ground at games that was a real special atmosphere and before the match we play Mull of Kintyre which the Paul McCartney wing song um, <laughs> and that's something that goes back to the late 70s when I think it was in the charts when Forrest were, were winning the league and being successful that's played before kickoff to get the atmosphere going and when you hear the ground singing that and everybody's in full voice it does does I know it's a cliche but it does make the hairs <laughs> on the back of your neck stand up it's a great atmosphere definitely Let's end this uh, on a positive note. Um, where do you see the club's position now and where they're heading? Are there blue skies ahead? I think there are signs of positivity. We've recently brought in a new manager, Steve Cooper, who had been the manager at Swansea City. So he's joined Forest now as head coach. And in the few games that we've had under him so far, the performances have been so much better big wins away from home as well at Barnsley and Birmingham recently. And Forrest were in the bottom three before he joined. They're now out of the bottom three and and kind of looking upwards. So he's a young progressive manager who's very much on the up. And I think he is very, very much looking forward to the challenge of managing Forrest. It's not been an easy job for Mm. For a while now, to be honest, I think those points that we've spoken about kind of show you why. But there's a, a scent, a bit more optimism now that that Steve Cooper's joined and the team is playing better, and there's a, a bit of a spring in everybody's step again, and that feel good factor's coming back. It's not been there for a little while, partly due to the pandemic and also perhaps the Chris Hutton's football that just wasn't working at Forest. So this new manager now is coming in and. Signs are looking a lot brighter. That's good to hear. And uh, that just about wraps it up, I think. So thank you so much, uh, Stephen, for coming on. You've been fantastic. You've given a great insight. And to all the Forest fans out there as well, or any football fan, if you haven't checked out 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast, check it out because it is the biggest Forest podcast out there. So good luck for the rest of the season, Stephen. And thanks again. No problem, Nick. Thank you. And thanks again for having me on. And that's all from us today from Beyond the School, powered by Stan Sport. And don't forget, you can sign up for all your Champions League coverage with the Sport Trial now at stan.com.au forward slash sport. See you next time and enjoy the football.